0: Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello, welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Chris DeMuth, a PM at Rangeley. With me as always is my co-host and fellow Rangeley PM, Andrew Walker. Today we're talking about the Verizon acquisition of Straight Path, as well as Snap's first quarter as a public company. Uh, to begin with, a straight path. Just secured one of the largest premiums in any major M&A transaction in decades. I think I really started following M&A in the 90s. I said casually it was the highest and then saw there was the slightly higher uh, one uh, in which uh, uh, there was there's one slightly higher one uh, that happened last year in Allergan. Paying for Tibira. we talked about that one. Percentage. We
1: talked about that one, and I, I think Dell and HP got in a bidding war a couple years ago for a company that went at a big premium. But it, regardless, this was nearly five hundred percent. This was a the premium dreams are made of.
0: This was a big premium, and until you know, I always think about when you look at bidding wars. There's usually. Uh, somebody drops out. So you go from three or two down to one eventual bidder when the deal is announced. So there's usually some fall off at the end and there was here, but It was mispriced every step along the way. I mean, it just kept going up and up and up uh, as they went back and forth. Um, So it seemed like a remarkably big uh, premium, and it was, although maybe not the number one biggest. Um, So this is a very interesting company. Uh, Howard Jonas is somebody who I have been long kind of intrigued by. I think mostly... Admiring mostly positively, um, his uh, IDT bought the assets that became straight path from Windstar out of bankruptcy in two thousand and two for fifty six million dollars he 's had his ups and downs on this at one point he said that he compared it to uh, buying uh, the island of Manhattan from the Indians at another time he said this was his worst investment he 's ever made a few years ago. Uh, now uh, you know it was not obvious that this was a great deal. Um, He spun it off from IDT in 2013, put his son, uh, Davidi, in charge of it, uh, which... Uh, you know, you could look at positively or negatively a, a young man without specific uh, industry expertise. Um, but this is a colorful character. He made hundreds of millions of dollars in the 1990s. Howard the dad, that is, uh, with technology that bypassed AT and T. His ad campaign was one eight hundred screw AT and T, uh, which didn't uh, dissuade them from buying uh, uh, a, a company from him for over a billion dollars. Uh, and uh, after. That screw AT and T uh, campaign. Now he might have done it again. Uh, so, Andrew, what do you think about all?
1: Yeah, this? Yeah. So, look, like, it, it was a, an incredible bidding war. You know, Verizon versus AT and T. Uh, it was incredible in a lot of senses. I mean, I remember a month ago, I walked into the office and saw AT and T buying StraightPath for it was like ninety five dollars a mm-hmm. share or something, and they, they had closed the day at forty. They had closed the previous day at forty, and I thought it, it had to be a typo or something. It was such a big premium. And uh, I I think we both know this was a very popular short-selling target. Uh, and, you know, I thought that day, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be the worst day in history for these people. And then the stock, you know, it just kept running up as Verizon kept lobbying an offer after offer. And uh, it's one of the
0: bidding wars for the century. You know, it's just – go ahead. I think one of the funny stats, and this is somebody on um, Bloomberg mentioned this, but if you have half the float short and it goes up over 400%, you now have the shorts loss greater than the pre-existing market cap of the company. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's crazy. Um it, It's a stock I'm a little conflicted with because I've told you this before. I've been long IDT for, for years and I had a little bit of straight path at $4.50 and I sold it for $6 and I thought, I am a genius. <laughs> and, you know, I look back at it. You know, I, I missed the next $180 of that move. Uh, but well, it, it, it's a lot. It's really complicated. I think this short Shorts, you know, in a lot of ways my I feel bad for them because I think the Shorts had a lot of interesting things here. You know, the this his son, who he put in charge as the CEO, was probably. Uh, Not the guy you think would be managing a multi-billion dollar bidding war super strategic asset. You know, he was a 29-year-old who had been a rabbi in his previous life. Um, This is a company that it started out. It was a bunch of kind of, you know, people thought the spectrum wasn't that valuable. And they also had a big patent portfolio and they were going to be, you know, people don't like the term patent troll anymore, but they thought the patents were where a lot of the value was. It was just a very strange story. And, uh, you know, I think the Shorts had a lot to their case, but they clearly missed the strategic nature of this spectrum. AT&T and Verizon clearly think this spectrum is part of the the solution to getting to 5G. And when you're Verizon, a $300 billion company, and you see a little tiny asset that could kind of protect your $300 billion wireless franchise, you know, paying $3 billion for it makes sense. So uh, yeah, yeah.
0: I've read all of the uh, short cases against it. I thought there were some well-constructed, thoughtful pieces on that side of it. Um, uh, two kind of uh, things, and this is not cautionary notes I had reading them, but just looking back. on I mean, okay, so this happened. Now what do I think about it? Uh, one is, you know, what are the limits to the value side of short-selling as a value thesis. There are some businesses that I think clearly are trying and failing to be valuable and analyzable in the present tense of what the business is worth as an ongoing operation. But this might just be outside of value investing in some way. I mean, this might just be, it it is based on a future that's coming fast enough that the large companies have to deal with it. And, and, And as you referred to, I think sometimes we're Value is hardest to analyze is when there are these huge scale mismatches and somebody just doesn't care that much about well, what they're paying on the margin at a much smaller scale. I don't want to say doesn't care. I think that's not the, but it is something, and it's something I've increasingly
1: tried to think through in all of our investments is, you know, where is something where value cannot be, its strategic value cannot be determined by mere financial numbers, yes. right? Like, you know, that's the, the bull case for Snapchat or for Twitter is, hey, they have these all these daily active users that generate all of this data and they've got all this content. And if you put it in the right hands, you match it to the right network, that is extremely valuable, right? Mm-hmm. You don't see that in their current financials, but the argument is, you know, maybe a Google or a Facebook, or if this develops properly, that's where it is. And for straight paths, you know, all this spectrum, you couldn't see the value currently, but to a Verizon or an at and who runs a $300 billion network, you know, the, this being able to help them get six months earlier in 5G, capture an extra million customers, you know, that is incredibly valuable. And it's, it's something uh, you know, that's worth thinking about in all investments going forward. You know, as we move towards, as computers get more quantitative and you get more computers you can copy the, the kind of classic low PE type investing, Things like this, being able to identify non-financial strategic value, mm-hmm. I think is going to become increasingly more important.
0: And it's still analyzable and quantifiable. This is real analysis, but it's just in some metric that is completely different than is than financial people are used to looking at.
1: It. And it's something you know uh we've talked a lot about sprint and t-mobile on this podcast dish is a stock i know you and i have thought Mm -hmm. a lot about where dish you know people see dish and they think oh dish the satellite tv company dish owns more spectrum than anyone but i think t-mobile at&t and verizon at Mm -hmm. this point you know that spectrum there's no value in their financials when you look at the financials the question is what is that spectrum worth uh, now they need to find somebody to buy it, but you know you know, I think you might have a good indication here, of Verizon AT going in this crazy bidding war to buy straight path. Now Dish's spectrum is much different than straight path spectrum, but you probably have one good indication that people are willing to pay up for spectrum if it's good spectrum and it helps you get to five G faster.
0: And dishes, uh, chairman and CEO Charlie Ergen, is the best poker player of all of them, literally and figuratively. I think that he's going to be uh, thoughtful about how he uses this kind of era of consolidation and the kind of gamesmanship between these different companies. I wouldn't be surprised if it accrues to his benefit.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, like SoftBank, which controls Sprint, they did the big deal for uh, that company. I can't. Their name? No, 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 no. SoftBank. They bought the English company right after Brexit. Um, that made, I believe it was semiconductors. But anyway, they bought it for a huge multiple and people were like, oh, what, what are they doing paying this big multiple? And they're saying, listen, this company has a license on semiconductor mm-hmm. uh, technology. They get paid royalties and that's just going to increase as we move to the Internet of things. You know, and they were saying we're forward thinking. That's exponential. In Dish's case, they own Spectrum and people are saying, oh, you price Spectrum on uh, dollars per person that the Spectrum covers. And Charlie Ergen's argument is no. Like, as we go to 5G, as we go to the Internet of Things, this spectrum is going to be valued at a dollar per things connected to the Internet. You guys are thinking linearly. I'm thinking exponentially. This spectrum is going to be worth a fortune.
0: Anyway, we're so far off street path. I don't know where we're going. I think that was a perfect way to end that, actually. And um, I'd like to switch uh, from that, if we could, to Snapchat with its newer, sleeker name. I assume some uh naming consultants came up with the shortening it from snapchat to snap for its ipo uh we are a quarter into uh its life as a public company um they uh had i thought a pretty fair and revealing s1 i think that if you look at the daily active user growth which was kind of slowing the chain rate of change was slowing, um that not only became sort of clear but perhaps sort of what they were timing their s1 to kind of getting getting that out in the public at that point um but uh it was an interesting uh, call in a quarter um their ceo doesn't sound too worried certainly not defeated but not even worried um uh, as to whether or not he's at war with facebook he was asked about facebook and he kind of laughed uh uh and uh whether or not he's at war with them, they're at war with him, and uh, have been probably doing a lot of things recently to react to uh, the Snapchat opportunity. So I just wanted to ask you what you thought about uh, about Snapchat one quarter into their life as a public company. Yeah,
1: so we, we talked about Snapchat uh, right around their IPO, and we mm-hmm. even mentioned, look, Facebook is ripping off Snapchat's yep. features mercilessly, and you know, in the tech world, there's nothing wrong with ripping off features, and yeah. I think that that was your big risk for Snapchat. Snapchat. Facebook already has th- two, three billion users. Snapchat's trying to get there. And if, if Facebook's just adding Snapchat-like features into their product, why mm-hmm. would people go download Snapchat? Uh, you know, I, I think – so I think that's the concern. But the really interesting thing to me was uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that said Snapchat's most fervent users are, sa- are sour- souring on Snap And that was so interesting to me because it's talking about how these millennials are selling Snapchat stock, aren't interested in buying Snapchat stock. And it was so interesting to me because look, this is anecdotal, but Facebook, right after Facebook's IPO, I know a lot of like professional investors were saying, oh my God, it's at $20 per share. Like that's a hundred times price to earnings. You know, we're going to mobile. They have no clue what to do with mobile. Google's going to come kill them. And I know a lot of Younger analysts, a lot of younger people were still really bullish on the story. And in Snapchat's case, it's interesting that you're not seeing that bullishness from younger people. Now, look. It- it's anecdotal, so I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say this is definitive, but in this case, younger users saw something in Facebook. They saw there's a moat, there's value here. In this Wall Street Journal article, you see the people who really use Snapchat aren't really interested in buying their stock. It makes me wonder if they if they see that the product might be a little fleeting, or if they might see like kind of signs of weakness in their moat. I don't know. This is really far outside of my realm of expertise, but it's just an interesting anecdote. I thought I'd uh, kind of share. No,
0: absolutely. I think that it's funny to think of Mark Zuckerberg at 32 years old being kind of the older, wiser, uh, world weary one. But in this case, while Evan Spiegel's kind of dismissive of Facebook, you know, you see all the different tools that they do just to grind out. Uh, growth in their users just almost every month. They're willing to buy new apps. They have versions that interact well with uh, in the international markets with slower internet access so that you can still use Facebook well. Uh, you look at uh, Instagram stories and different kind of increasingly Snap-like features that he's still hustling and uh, I think Snap is still very kind of purist in how they want to grow their business uh, even even at the cost of, uh, of growth.
1: You know, and in Snapchat's case, I think Twitter uh, mm-hmm. is a is a turnaround story right now. Yeah, and Twitter is really their focus is they've rediscovered. Hey, we are a live company, and they're really investing a lot into getting live video. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like you go on and there's instant political analysis. Mm-hmm. They've got deal, streaming deals with the NFL that they uh, they lost the Thursday night NFL, but they are getting an NFL pre show. They're really focused on live video, and if you think of Snapchat, Snapchat is also live kind of streaming video their goal was to turn into almost a tv channel if you look at their discover feature so I, I also wanted to look facebook is hitting them on one side by stealing the instagram stories and disappearing messages and stuff and twitter's hitting them on the other side by kind of having their focus on the the live streaming video product and maybe they have two competitors where they thought they might have zero if that makes sense so they're kind of getting hit on both ends I don't know, but it's interesting. The one thing I would say is everyone who I've everyone who I respect in this industry who I've talked to has said uh, Evan Spiegel, Snapchat CEO, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I've heard him compared to Steve Jobs, and I would just say you know people who are fantastic, as you saw with Howard Jonas selling Straight Path, people who are fantastic tend to find a way to kind of create their own winning hand. So I don't know if I'd necessarily want to bet against him, but uh, you know. Disappointing quarter. The stock's really sold off hard, but that's what happens when you have a super high multiple and you don't continue to deliver super strong
0: growth. He's perfectly situated to prove that he's right if he is. Uh, shareholders with no vote. Uh, he His position is so supreme within Snap that he will get what he deserves over the long term. And uh, it's nice to just for uh, the competitive for the competitive landscape to have somebody who can really play a long game. He's well situated to do that. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Um, is that a good spot to yeah, end? Let's Do you end have anything else? Um, yeah, let's end there. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, before we hit our disclosures, a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it at podcastarrangeleycapital.com. In case I've missed any super small deals, um, I, I needed to slightly demote Straight Path from being the largest to one of the largest. Uh, we came up with the Tabira. Uh, if anybody else has, probably, I think for us to totally miss it would be a smaller deal. It's a smaller uh, deal at, uh, a uh, at a bigger premium. a bigger premium. just curious yeah. if there's for, any more Forget email.
1: Emailing us past deals. If you know a stock that's going to get acquired for a bigger premium than In straight path, yeah, please send it to the email account immediately. Uh, we'll take you out for a nice dinner. We we would love to hear that that stock.
0: That is a much better idea. Oh, uh, we are long IDT. We are long Dish.
1: Yeah, long IDT and Dish, and I think we should say just because we were all, we were asking for bigger premiums, this podcast is not investing advice. Well, uh, I don't know anybody who's going to find something that goes over a five uh, x premium bidding war.
0: Thank you.